Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, we are in the, I don't even know which installment of our series, Made to Worship. Christine will tell me after church, because she would know for sure. But last week, uh, if I can just give you a very brief recap, uh, we were talking about where we worship from. It's actually very important that we know where we worship from, because Uh, God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth, and so to be able to do that, we have to have a foundation from where we worship. And where we worship, if I can just give you the reminder, is a place of standing that we have by the miraculous provision of what Jesus did at the cross, right? My standing is not something that I have created. I kind of... I, 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 should, I don't want to say I laugh about it, but I do laugh about it. It's not really even funny these days, but you'll notice a lot of people preaching from moral high ground that they built with a shovel. You notice this? We got to do what's right. Well, that's a subjective statement, what's right. And a lot of times that's the human way is that we will do what is right according to what is right in our own eyes, which isn't right at all. And it's not right for everyone. And it's not right for the greater good, even though we think it is. And that's a place that our world is in chaos right now. There's a, lot of, there's a whole lot of moral ground that is supposedly high ground, but it has been built with a shovel probably in someone's backyard. For all I know, they could have been shoveling dog poop out of their backyard. So it's not much of a hill to stand on to follow the analogy to its conclusion. The difference for you and I is that the standing we have, the footing that we have in Christ is a supernatural footing that cannot be shaken by anything. Hebrews says, therefore, we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So the footing, the standing that I have is an unshakable standing in an unshakable kingdom ruled by an unshakable and unshakable and an unchanging God. The fact that he has called me his son. The fact that he has made me heirs with Jesus according to the promise that he made Abraham and Isaac and Jacob so long ago. Those are facts about my identity in Christ. Those are realities that I get to live in now today. And that's in a wonderful place to, to be and It's a wonderful place to understand where I come from when I come to worship God. Um. The title of today's message is From Where to Why. From Where to Why. I love the fact that I get to worship God from a place of holiness because He is holy, but it's not because He is holy that I get to worship from holiness. Because He is holy, everything that He touches is made holy. The ground at Moses' feet became holy when God settled his presence there. And when God settles his presence in my life, guess what I become? Holy. Perfect? No, I wouldn't make that claim. But being perfected, absolutely. And you are holy too. The word holy doesn't mean perfect for the record. It means to be set apart. Sometimes we get that confused. Holiness and perfection. Holiness and perfection only have something to do with each other at the end of Jesus' process in my life. But for now, I'm holy because he has made me holy and everything that he touches seems to become holy. 
And it's actually not all that complicated, but we need to make sure that we live in that, in that lack of complication because various uh, ideas and, and, and doctrines and, and wrong theologies, wrong studies of what God's heart is would lead us to places of chaos and complication. Here's, here's the reality. I can worship. I have become a worshiper of God for this reason and this reason alone, and that is that He saved me. And I hope you know this morning that I can't be a worship of God outside of salvation because it would fall short still of His perfect standard. But because Jesus met a standard for me, now my worship is qualified as acceptable because it comes not around Jesus, but through Jesus. You'll recall the words of Christ that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. Because He saved me, I can worship him. And I need to say, I need to worship him because he saved me. And I should want to worship God because he saved me. Because he saved me according to his own nature by his own work. And that's an important, that's an important point to make. That he saved me by his nature, his own nature, and by his own work. It matters a great deal. There's a huge difference in God doing what is right because he is right, or sorry, in God doing what is right because it's right, and God doing what is right because he is right. Stick with me, because this is the important part where this whole thought process needs to shift. It needs to be a transition in how you experience God this morning. Does God do what is right? Yes, the Bible says God is right in everything that he does and kind in all his works. So God does everything right. The Bible says we can take that off the table. It is a fact. It is a concluded point. What God does is right. But but let me ask you this, and this is important. Does God do what's right because it's right? Or does God do what's right because he is right? Torah and my mom got it. The rest of you, I'm, I'm worried for, frankly. It's okay if you didn't know this. God does what is right, not because it is right, but because he is right. This is a very important theological foundation. It really is. Why does it matter so much? Well, it matters so much because as the author and finisher of our faith, his virtue counts for more than anything. God's nature counts for more than anything. Who God is, not by his revelation, but who God is, by who he is, is the pinnacle of everything that exists. Because all things came into being through him, and apart from him, John 1 says, nothing has come into being. There was a song I heard growing up in church, and I believe it was a Sandy Patty authored song. And for whatever reason, I remember my uncle singing it in his very, uh, very, very smooth, nice uh, baritone voice. But the words to the song, the chorus to the song says, Lord, I praise you because of who you are, not for all the mighty things that you have done. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. You're all the reason that I need to voice my praise because of who you are. Now, 
I wish you had the experience of being in the presence of God as a, I don't know, eight-year-old and having that make sense so clearly. Because it's formative to doctrine. It's formative to our understanding of God. And so if it's news to you this morning, here's some good news. God is who he is. And because he alone is who he is, nothing can ever change that. It's, he's unshakable. He's unmovable. He's unsurpassable by his own nature. Well, that's impossible. Yes, with you, that's impossible. But not for him. This notion of why we praise God mattering matters a great deal. Ask me why. Thank you. Thank you for being so obedient. I appreciate it. Well, since you asked, I want to tell you. Front row. This back corner over here, you guys are real quiet this morning. Come on, you got to up your game. I will preach longer if you stay silent, okay? All right. Don't you get smug back there on this side in the back corner. Coming for you next. All right. Because who God is doesn't change is the why. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. In other words, in the Travis Hansen revised edition of the Bible, it's, I'm God, I don't change, and that's why you're still alive. It's a very factual statement God makes in Malachi uh, 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You say, well, I'm not a son of Jacob. Yes, you are. We've already been over this a few times this morning. If, if you belong to the Lord, you are heirs of the promise, and that promise was made to Abraham, Isaac, and very specifically Jacob, okay? So you are of that lineage by the spirit of adoption, and it matters for us that the God doesn't change. What keeps us alive is who God is. He sustains all things by the power of his word, Scripture teaches us. And if God stopped sustaining all things by the power of his word, what do you suppose would happen to all things? Well, all things would cease, except him, of course. And I know when you're stuck in that, you know, atheistic point of view that, well, God doesn't exist. If he didn't exist, you wouldn't be able to make an argument against his existence. That's the funny thing about how that works. Who are you mad at if you don't believe? Um, but we'll get to that before the end, too. Don't worry. I got a verse for that this morning. Uh, very important that we understand. Let's go to another one about God not changing because him not changing matters to our standing, but it also matters even more to the why we worship. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want to know what I love about Hebrews 13.8? You can read any single tra any translation in English, and within 98%, it will be word for word every single translation. Do you know how rare that is? Like, as translations exist to kind of help us get an angle on the thought and what the author is intending and what God's heart is. And so the evolving English language, which is constantly evolving, different translations need to appear to help us understand the vernacular of what God is saying to a generation. And, and it's important that we have those translations, but this is what I love. It doesn't really matter which one you read. There is almost no variation that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love it. Because every translation says the same way. Nobody disagrees on this point. Hebrews 6, 17, and 18. 
In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, that's you and I, okay? Somebody say heir. That's H-I-E-R, not A-I-R. Heir of the promise, the, now listen, let me read it again. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, you and I, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, someone say unchangeable things. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. Why do we have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us? We know that because God does not lie, it says. But more importantly than the fact that God doesn't lie is he made the promise twice. It is a promise interposed with an oath. The unchangeableness of his purpose. God's purposes never have changed. God's purpose has been in perfect alignment with his will and his nature from the beginning. From the first moment he breathed out a star to the present moment we sit in right now. God's purpose for us has not changed one iota. It remains the same because he is the same day after day, moment after moment, year after year, generation after generation. God does not change. And because that purpose has never changed, he promises that, he interposes that with an oath. In other words, he takes these two things and he mashes them together by a promise, by an oath, so that we have two, two unchangeable things that God has promised knowing he cannot lie. And that, my friends, is what encourages us to take hold of the hopes set before us. God's purpose, God's character, God's nature does not change. Let me just say it to you this way. All nature, all purpose, all character flows from one source, and it's him. In the same way that apart from him, nothing came into being. There is no purpose that doesn't come from him. There is no nature that you have. Well, pastor, what about evil? Where did that come if all things come from God? Guys, evil isn't a something. It is the absence of something. Well, how do you know that? Well, I know that light and darkness, darkness isn't a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. I know that when it comes to energy, that heat is what it is. The cold is the absence of heat. Evil doesn't need to come from the nature of God. We only need to choose to live outside of his nature to experience what evil is. And from the time man has decided to live and chooses again and again, year after year, generation after generation, to live generation after generation to live outside of the presence of God, evil will persist. By the way, death is the absence of life, sickness is the absence of health. We could go on. These verses that I share with you are all really to do. Well, let me give you one more. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. Here's a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. Sounds good. If we endure with him, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Well, that's not quite so positive, is it? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, here we are positive again. For he cannot deny himself. This is very important. If we live with him... God cannot deny himself, therefore we live. 
And if we reign with him, God cannot deny himself, therefore we reign with him. If we deny him because God cannot deny himself, he cannot deny himself, even if we deny him. But we can be denied. Interesting little change in the language of the passage, isn't it? If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Guys, God's nature is set. It is, it's, God's nature is unalterable. Everything else in this world can be changed and can be altered. We can take mountains and level them out. We can use a mountain to fill a, a, a body of water so we can drive cars over it. We can turn mountains upside down. We can move the biggest things we know on this planet. We can chip away at and we can alter them, but not God. He is unchanging. He is unalterable. The idea of these passages has a common theme, and that common theme is that God does not change, that he will not change, Maybe even that we could say that God cannot change. But God is unalterable. Nothing you do, nothing I do, nothing man has ever done has changed God from who he is. His nature doesn't change. What he does may change according to what the need is. Somebody say what he does changes. Come on, say it. What he does change. Who knows this to be true? Right? Boy, <laughs> Scripture backs this up in spades. Behold, I am doing a new thing. But God doesn't change. No, God doesn't change who he is, but his methodology has changed. In the Old Testament, it was blood and goats, or blood of goats and sheep and doves. In the New Testament, now Jesus is the once and for all. It's done. See, God has, God has used different tactics on different people at different times. He used 10 different tactics on the Pharaoh when Moses said, remember from a few weeks ago, let the people come out to worship God in the wilderness. No, I'm not going to. Who's going to do our work for us if we let all of you go? Well, I don't know, Pharaoh. Maybe your own kids quit being such a failed father. Right? Right? We don't want to have to do our own work. You know, that's where slavery comes from. Um, <laughs> God changes methods up. Starts pretty minor. Right? Some flies, some pestilence, then some frogs. I bet you for a moment the Egyptians and the Israelites, because they were all in the same plague together, probably really glad for those frogs. Unless you don't think frogs eat bugs, but just saying. But then it got a little serious, especially when the Nile turned to blood. You imagine... You imagine how that affected the land. But then God finally changes, changes his tactic to the granddaddy of tactics, which is the firstborn of every living thing in the land of Egypt that did not have the blood of the lamb marked above its door died. The firstborn of every living thing. And that, make no mistake, is a prophetic statement about God's firstborn, his one and only son, who would become the blood of the lamb that spared people from death. Make no mistake. See, why? Because God's nature and his purpose has never changed. He's still the same today, yesterday, and forever. 
But his tactic, well, his tactics have changed to match the ages. God being worshipped for what he does instead of who he is creates a great problem for you and I. Because if God does the things we want, is it not easy to worship God? Yes, I won the lottery, so I will praise the Lord. Yee-hoo. Yes, I won the lottery, so I will praise the Lord. Yee-hoo. Yes, I won the lottery, so I will praise the Lord. I just made that up right here. <sighs> I'm really trying for some of you this morning. Come with me. Come with me. It's easy to praise God when things are going well. We've heard that before. You know what? A million preachers have said that to 10 million people in churches before. Because we all know it's true. It's one of those things in life that will always be true. It's easy to praise God when his tactics align with what we want. But what happens when God's methodology, methodology changes? I know what happens because sometimes we shift methodology in this thing called church. And some people are like, I don't want this anymore. I don't like this anymore. It's just a change in methodology. We haven't changed who we are. God does the same thing. We're just following his lead, okay? But here's the problem. When we worship God because what he does for us, what happens when he no longer does for us the same things that caused us to worship him? 99% of which are going to be horribly shallow and embarrassing to talk about if we're just going to be completely transparent, When we don't like the things he's doing, then we typically stop worshiping. I don't even like worshiping anymore. Why? Well, they changed the music. Okay. You know how many times the music has changed in my lifetime as a follower of Jesus? A lot of times. I went to, guys, I went to church when I was a kid and I played trumpet on the front pew of the church. Some of you are like, what the? Trumpet in church? Yeah. Everything was in B flat, which if you know the trumpet is good. But then thank you, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father in heaven that guitars became cool in church. And B flat was done away with forever. Because guitars hate B flat and E flat and A flat, especially D flat. F-flat, no one really complains about, though. Those of you who are musical know that F-flat is E, so it's okay. You want to mess with somebody? Write F-flat in the key signature and see them figure it out. Anyways. God doesn't change, but when we only worship a God for what he does, we run into the problem of not liking him anymore when he changes his method, and we stop worshiping almost as if we think somehow that's going to affect God. Let me tell you a true story. God did not get up this morning. An angel of the Lord did not bring God the Sunday post. God did not take that paper and open it up to the worshiper's forecast. 
And God did not read therein that 80% of people this morning at church were not really going to be that into the worship. God did not then look at the angel who brought him the knot paper and say, oh, geez, Gabriel, what am I going to do? My power banks are going to be drained. God did not worry. God did not shift his position. God did not get angry about it. God did not change one portion, one part, one iota of his purpose for your life based on a worship forecast that was never given to him in never heaven. I hope that you're hearing the gospel in this. Your worship doesn't change God. You want to know what changes from your worship? You do. You change from worship. And you do. You change from worship. Wade, don't you look at me like that. I'll come over and put my hand on your head. Wade, you change from worship. Pastor says God doesn't like our worship. That's not what I said at all. I said God doesn't change because of your worship or lack of worship. He is still who he is. Even when you are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't change. It's who he is. And this leads us to the why we worship, not the what for we worship. Why we worship God is because he is incapable of changing the goodness of his nature, the virtue of his heart, the all-surpassing greatness of his reality, all established firmly and only by by him and with him. There is nothing outside of that. It's just God. The good news is, is God didn't do all the things I said, and then God didn't get up and go back to bed. He stayed right where he needed to be, right where he wants to be. God did not say, man, I really need people to sing today about me. Otherwise, I might just not be able to do the things I need to do for those certain people. If you want a vindictive God to worship, there's lots of them in the pagan theater of the gods. I mean, the Norwegians have some good ones. It's simple, right? It's simple to be a pagan sometimes. You need a better harvest? You know, do the thing for the harvest deity. You need, a, you need your daughter to find a man? You do the thing for the... I don't know, the marriage deity, the fertility deity. You, 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 need, you, know, you need somebody killed? You, you talk to the get people killed deity. I mean, it's just very simple. It's just, they just have another God for every problem, and you and I don't have that benefit, if we can call it that. We have a Jehovah Jireh. We have a Jehovah Rapha. We have a Jehovah Nisi. See, we have a God who provides, a God who heals, and a God who dwells in us. We have a God who dwells in us. 
the King James Version of the Bible, which is what I memorized as a kid, Psalm 22, verse 3. The Lord says, actually, yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. The old King James said very simply, for the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And you know, it's funny to me that people actually argue about this. The old King James people, they love it. And then all the other translations that have thought best to use the word enthroned, although even when you research them out, they work together either way just fine. You who are enthroned upon the praise of Israel. Whether or not God inhabits the praises of his people or is enthroned upon the praises of his people matters not. The point is, is that God is present in the praises of his people. Somebody say he's present in the praises of his people. Say it again because only four of you believe me. God is present in the praises of his people. This is the why we worship you guys. This is the why. It's not for all the mighty things that he has done. Now, understand this. The mighty things that he has done are wonderful things, every one of which is praiseworthy. But what you need to keep in perspective, what you need to help you focus on these two things, because there's actually depth to God. God is not a two-dimensional image that you look at and say, I'll just make this fit my life. God has more dimensions to him than you can possibly count or even imagine. But the cool thing is about what God does is that everything he does, does, is that it flows from his nature. And that's why it's always good. Because a good God, doing things from a good nature, does good things every time. Whether we understand it or not, he's still good. In the Old Testament, when the people would gather to offer sacrifices and worship, God's presence would show up. God's presence, when people were in need, would show up, and he would dwell in the midst of them. And that means his presence would come down like a cloud and make it hard for people to do anything but acknowledge his presence. I've been in some church services like that. They are awesome. I love it when there's nothing else I can do. When I don't, I have no idea who's in church. I have no idea if anybody's going to listen to what I have to say or more importantly what the Holy Spirit wants to say. I don't care. I don't know anything about any of it. All I know is that I'm in the presence of God and that is the best place I can be. Those are the moments that I can never get enough of. God would come down with them. And his presence would gather in them, around them, and through them like a cloud. What do you suppose it was like to follow the pillar of fire by night for Israel? And then that pillar of fire would come down on the tent of meeting. It would hover over that place where they set up camp. Do you suppose it got warm from the fire? I think it did. I have a, I have a feeling. Pretty comfortable nights in the cold desert, but... Guys, God's presence changes things. It changes people. It changes everything, but he doesn't change. It actually takes an unchangeable force to bring real change, to bring impactful, eternally altering change. 
Who would you rather follow in life? A leader with character or a leader who provided benefits? That's good. Some of you guys are smart. You're character people. That, that makes me feel proud as a pastor of our church. It's a trick question. You want to know why? Because when you follow leaders who have good character, there will always be benefit. Always. This has been proven for thousands upon thousands of years in humanity. But a leader who leads only to give benefit for their benefit, that disperses very quickly. There's nothing left. It is devoid of something that matters past the fiscal year end. Would you rather follow a Lord, a God, a Savior for his benefits or his character? It's still a quick question, a trick question. See, when we follow the Lord for his nature, his character, who he really is, the benefits are added anyways because they flow out of his virtue, out of who he is. And this is why. And I think that when we find ourselves making poor decisions about the things we worship, and mark my words, we do worship things that are not God. Because of their benefit to us. This is a human condition that's as old as humanity. If you think about it, it's what led to the fall of man in the garden. The devil as a serpent comes and says to Eve, did God really say calls into question the unchanging word of God. I am the Lord, I do not change. That was true in the garden when Eve was asked the question, did God really say? Yes, he did really say. And he's not changing. And so it unfolded according to the purpose of God, the way he thought it would the way he dreamed it would, the way he thought it all up. It unfolded according to his plan. The untainted outflow of who God is will always produce righteousness in the end. Worship team, why don't you guys come back up? I'm going to close with this last passage. Okay, technically two passages. Now listen to this, Romans 1, 18 to 25. It's a big chunk of scripture. Here's what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Man, it's like he's talking about what we're in today, isn't it? It's just because it hasn't ever changed. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. And as a result, they became futile in their speculation. Have you ever felt futile in your speculation? Fair question, I think. That led to a darkened heart. Futile speculations will always lead to a darkened heart for you and I, just so you know. And I'm not wanting to confuse speculation with true time in God's Word, in learning and being taught. I'm talking about mindless speculation, arguing Scripture for no reason, asking questions when you know darn well the Holy Spirit has spoken to you already. And you're just looking for a benefit that doesn't cost so much, maybe. With a darkened heart, we all become fools. And when we become fools, we actually do begin, as it says, to exchange the incorruptible for corrupted images. See, we start chasing the benefit rather than the benefactor, the one who by his virtue brings benefit to everyone who loves him, who serves him. We start doing it our own way, worshiping in our own mindset, following after, chasing after, pursuing after the things that we think will be right for us. And we become fools. And where we eventually arrive at, because we're created for worship, every one of us winds up worshiping something, and we find ourselves worshiping created things rather than the one who created them. If that's not a picture of the world you see, then I beg you to start opening your eyes. The evidence of this pasture, pas passage of Scripture is all around our world. But don't worry, you and I are called by God to a different hope, to a different standard, to a different philosophy, to a different way of living, a different way of choosing, a different way of praying. We are called as his benefactors. We are called as his sons, as his daughters, as the children of God, adopted by a spirit of adoption to a place of righteous standing in Jesus. to bless his name and receive his benefits. I love how that passage, verse 25, closes and serve the creature out of the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Why is it that God is blessed forever? Because he doesn't change. That's why. Can you just imagine the end of all things for a moment with me? I don't mean this like in a scary end of the world way, 
I'm just saying our race is done. We're with Jesus, present with him in heaven. What else does God need to do at that point? By my understanding of Scripture, nothing. I mean, if that's the end of the race, we've crossed the line and we're now in eternity with each other and with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, with the angels, with the saints who've gone before us, with the saints that are coming after us, we're all together in heaven. What is left for God to do? And the answer is, well, nothing. Yet it's everything. See, because his nature, his virtue, his goodness, the fact that he doesn't change means that he would continue to, uh, what's the right word? He would continue to give off his benefits. God can't help himself. He can't be helped to change this. It's who he is. Because he sent his word to heal us. He lifted us up from death who he is. And it's the who he is that makes it so important to understand the why we worship. Because let me just complete the circle for you this morning. If you come back to why you're here to worship God today, it's because of the things he's just done for you. And you're not learning about who he is and making that the why of your life. Then you're missing out on the best parts of the gospel. You're missing out on the best parts of being in a church family. You're missing out on the best parts of knowing Jesus. You're missing out on the best parts of a friendship with the Holy Spirit. He's worshipped forever because he isn't changing. Here today, it's time for people to stop worshipping corruptible things. It's time for people to stop worshipping the corruptible. It's a dangerous road. Stop worshiping God for what he did for you. Because what he did for you was merely a starting point in your life. And because you're breathing air today, you have already left that point behind. And it's time to move into the now of what God is doing for you. And for those of you who have a neurotic tendency to anxiety, to start worrying about tomorrow, don't worry. Jesus covered that too. Don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough worries of its own. Let it take care of itself. No, let me take care of that. But right now, in the presence of God, in this moment, will you worship him, not for what he is doing or what he has done or what he will do, but because he simply alone deserves your worship. When you know, you know. And I want you to know right now, it's okay if you're sitting there saying, I don't know what to do with that. Because we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to know what to do with that in just a moment. But I want to remind you of this. In James 1.17, a staple. You should memorize this. Maybe you should get it tattooed on you. I don't know. Do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. But James 1.17 says this, it reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, and this is what I love, who does not change. Not like shifting shadows. Can I just explain to you what that means as we close today? Have you ever been out in the heat, getting beaten down by the sun? 
hot. We had some hot days this summer. You find that place of shade, and isn't it awesome? It's restful. It's still warm all around you, but man, does that shade feel good. But what happens? Well, yeah, the sun moves. Eh, you're wrong. Technically, the earth moves. Sorry. The earth moves, and what happens? The things around you begin to cast a different shadow, but I want you to keep this in mind. The sun hasn't moved. It hasn't changed. It's still doing everything it needs to do. It's still giving life to our whole planet. You see where I'm going. See, with God, there is no shifting shadow. You can be in his presence just the right amount all the time. Why? Because of who he is. That's not about what he's doing. God is doing the things he's doing out of who he is. That's why it says there's no shifting shadow. He doesn't change. And because he doesn't change, I want to promise you that his benefits will keep flowing into and flowing through those who call on his name, those who worship him in spirit and in truth. I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. And we want to leave a moment for us to do business with God if we need to this morning. I hope that this is a a sobering thing for you. I mean, I hope you feel better having been to church today. But right now, if you're willing, would you just raise your hand and let's invite the Holy Spirit, just like we do every Sunday. Every Sunday, we, 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 we say basically the same thing. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? And this is a question each one of us should ask God all the time. Lord, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, right now in this place, and for those who are watching from home, Jesus, I ask that you begin to put your finger on the thing that you're trying to speak to us about this morning. Lord, if there be a thing in us that is being worshipped as as a corruptible thing, Lord, that is misaligned with you, Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on it this morning and help us to see it? Lord Jesus, help us to repent, to turn away from it. Lord Jesus, I even pray this morning that you would take our focus on the things that you have done in the past and take us our focus off of the things you want to do in the future, Lord, and put us to be grateful and thankful and worshipful for this moment that we are in right now. Let the lunches burn on the stoves at home. Let the server at the restaurant wait just a little longer because you, Lord, do not change. And not only were you you worthy of worship when we got up this morning, but you were worthy in this moment. And you're worthy in the next moment. And you're worthy after that still. And you'll still be worthy when we come back tonight, Jesus, to sing and to worship and to be together. You will still be worthy of worship. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.